Dayspring University hosts Dr. Chris Lorstorfer as he presents a four-part sermon series on spiritual respiration. Today is session two of four. So last week we started this discussion about spiritual respiration. I began at the beginning with, with the nature of God. And I really want to I really want to focus this back there just for a moment because it's an amazing thing when you think about that that our God, you're talking about the Holy One, the one who created all things, the one that everybody desperately wants to point to as transcendent, is a God who desperately, it seems, wants to be imminent. Throughout all of Scripture, you see God moving in. He's right up in our face, He's right up in our life. Why, 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 why? I was just finishing tonight, speaking at two places at one time, that's how you do it, uh, in the video that I was making earlier today, uh, the end of 2 Samuel, and I just pointed out, you know, it's amazing to me when you look at this story, that one of the things I learn from First and Second Samuel is, I mean, I see it other places, but one of the main points there is that God is looking for a person to relate to. Does that not blow your mind? I mean, Sometimes I say, why? But here's the thing. As I said last week from St. Athanasius in the 4th century, we were created to reflect the relationship the Son has with the Father, which is interesting because when the New Testament comes down to it and says, we are now sons of God, that's what we were supposed to be. That's what we were created to be, sons of God. People in that kind of relationship, and you know, what does that mean exactly? But I would tell you that it, it means that we are in relationship to God as the, as the Son is to the Father. Shared life. And so as I was finishing David's story at the, at the very end of 2 Samuel, I said it's interesting. It's not that David was some kind of perfect man. He obviously had flaws and made some really stupid decisions. But he was reciprocating the love that God had for him, the life God was giving him. He reciprocated, and I said, you know, that's what God's looking for. He's not looking for someone who's humanly perfect. He's looking for someone who will give back to him the life he gave to them. You know why? Because that's the Trinity. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the Trinity. That God does not exist, going off of C.S. Lewis a little bit here, God does not exist as a single person, but as a relationship. And if you know mere Christianity, you know that C.S. Lewis says, kind of like a dance. He says, that, that's, a, that's not quite a quote, but he's, he's quoting from Gregory Nazianzen, late 4th century, that talked about that shared life, that, that da- he used the word perichoresis, which is where we get our word choreography from, you know, choresis. So to move with the shared life in God, that's what we're supposed to be. That's what we were created to be. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was down in Mexico. We have, a, we have a, um, some students down there. And um, I was talking about this very thing. And on the board, and I was kind of had my back to the, to the uh, class. And I was writing up here. And I hadn't gotten to humanity yet. I was just talking about the Trinity. About the shared life, you know, and the, and the reciprocity. The Father gives life in the Son, begets the Son. The Son offers it back. And there's this thing happening. And as I'm going, this one lady named Dulce, she interrupts me and she says, do you mean, are you saying to me, and then she starts crying. She can't even finish her sentence. 
This thing hits her, I suppose. And I, we waited for her. And she said, are you saying that we can experience that? And I said, no, I'm saying you were made for that. Not can you, you were made for that. If you're not experiencing that, you'll never be satisfied, you'll never be fulfilled, you will not be what God created you to be because that is what he was looking for, that reciprocating life. Now, the problem then is, how do we experience that? What does that mean exactly? And I'm going to tell you something very practical tonight about that. Because you can talk about that, you can say that, but how do you get that is the question. And that's where we come to tonight. Now, as I said last week, John Wesley called it uh, spiritual respiration. He says it's kind of like breathing. You breathe in and you breathe out. It's, it, and it's continual, he said. If you remember, uh, those of you who were last week on the module, my quote from him there, talked about the acting of the, the, I think he said it with an S on the end, the actings of God on the soul. God is acting on our soul. And when we see that and we respond to that and we, we move back toward him, he acts again. And then all of a sudden, this is very much like the Trinity, very much like that perichoretic relationship. See, God's giving, I'm offering back, he's giving more, etc. That's exactly where we live. Okay, now, on the module, interacting with grace is the issue. How do we interact with grace? As I wait for him to click the uh, page, but he's talking about it so they don't know what they're doing. There it is. <clears throat> interacting with grace. I want to start with the definition of grace for just a moment. Because I think we've made a grave error in defining grace as unmerited favor. Now, I'm not saying it's not unmerited favor. I'm saying that's where we stop. Even uh, Henry Blackaby said this in one of his books, not the uh, Encountering God or whatever, but one of them he wrote after that. He said, we've got to stop seeing grace as unmerited favor and see it as something more. And I'll tell you why that is. But let me give you my little definition first. Grace is more than just God's attitude toward us. It is also God's action toward us. The life of God extended to us, the dynamic energy of God at work in us. Now, where do I get that? Okay, I'll take it backwards. Um, first of all, Henry Blackaby, that's exactly what he's talking about. It's exactly the way John Wesley defined it, who possibly got it from Gregory, uh, Gregory um, of Nisa, yeah. And maybe even in between the two, Gregory Palamas. In other words, this has been said over the years in the church, and yet we kind of wipe all that away and say, it's unmerited favor. Now, okay, it's true that God starts with an attitude toward us, right? So God looks at you, tell me your first name again. Nathan. Nathan. Gift. Gift of God, Nathaniel. Gift of God. Anyway, um, God looks at Nathan and yes, he has an attitude toward him that he does not merit. But that's not all grace is. If you stop right there, God is still transcendent. As I said, some people desperately want to keep God transcendent. He's up there. You know, we're just kind of doing our thing down here. There's no interaction between us except his attitude toward me, which, by the way, I'm glad of. 
But is that all there is? God's up there and he's thinking good thoughts about me? And I'm down here going to serve him the best I can. Hopefully someday I'll get up there. That's an in, so, and in my, you know, this is coming from my book, um, Learning to Breathe. And the way I started is kind of thinking about a conversation I had with a guy one time. And I, I said, it's interesting that we will say Christianity is not just a religion, it's a relationship. But the people who often say that think that someday we'll see God. Today, you know, we're just doing our best. He's up there, I'm down here. And that's not a relationship. That's not a relationship. If you stick with unmerited favor, you leave God far away, thinking good thoughts about you. Again, that's not a terrible thing to start with. But here's what I want to tell you. As I said last week, the nature of God is to give himself away. I think that is the basis of what it means when we say God is holy. Everything morally that we understand to be good is based on that. Everything bad morally is the opposite of that, right? So self-centered is, is sin. Self-giving is holy. The very nature of God is to give himself away. But here's the thing, and this, this is, will blow your mind if you think about it. So put on your helmet and fasten your seatbelts. When you're thinking about God the Father begetting the Son, okay, how does he beget the Son? I said this last week. Whenever God extends his energy, his life into, like for instance, in the Son, that extension is what we call the Holy Spirit. It is personal. He is personal in and of himself. The life of God extended. That's the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. Just as God the Father extends his life into the Son, he extends his life to us. That's crazy. But why don't we, why don't we talk about that? Why don't we live that way? As I've said, I've said before in other situations, we're in a pre, sorry, we're in a post-Pentecost church by 2,000 years. We're in a post-Pentecost church, and we live like we're a pre-Pentecost church. We're living like Old Testament people. You know, you just do right, be right, you know, God's up there. He'll look down on you with some favor every once in a while. Man, this is 2,000 years past Pentecost. We should, we should know and live and be empowered by the fact that the same God that's begetting the Son is in the same way, Peter says, begetting us. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Grace is more than his attitude. It's an action. It's the extension of God's life and his energy. That's the Gregor of Nyssa, Gregor Palamas context. The energies of God being extended to us. That's grace. And that is powerful. So I say God is personal. God is imminent. God is dynamic. Yes, I know he's transcendent. I know he's other than us. But he doesn't seem to want to keep it that way when you read the scripture. He's all up in our business. He's walking in the garden. He's talking to Cain. He's, he's there as Noah's building a boat. He's on, the, he's on the hillside with David. He's walking with the disciples, literally. 
God is up in our business. He wants to be imminent. He's dynamic. He's very personal. And I, I have the statement here, God's not physical, but we are. And that's why, you know, the word liturgy, which scares everybody. Oh, no, we're going to get Catholic. The word liturgy means work of the people. That's what it, that's what it means. We, as I said, God's not physical, but we are. He is in the sense of the incarnation, but don't get me started. Now, John Wesley defined uh, the means of grace this way as it switches, uh, as it switches to the next one. Mm. By means of grace, and, and that's one of those words. I don't know if you ever used that phrase. I, I got that from John Wesley, and I use it because it, it makes so much sense. By means of grace, I understand outward signs, words, or actions ordained of God and appointed for this end to be the ordinary channels whereby he might convey to men preventing, justifying, or sanctifying grace. In other words, God wants to interact with us in our space, right? In our, in our time and space. He wants to interact with us, and he has invited us to do it through various means. Now, I'm going to limit the means um, to, three, to three things in just a minute. But I want to say this to you, that in the church, we have, we have and I suppose in, a, um, in non-liturgical churches, as most of ours probably are, in non-liturgical churches, we think we're free. You know, th this is a free, we don't do all that liturgy junk. You know, we're free. Uh, but here's what happens oftentimes. We don't interact with God. We come in, sing a couple songs, because that's what you're supposed to do. Sit down, listen to a good sermon. Or if you're in my church, a really good sermon. <laughs> I tell them that at least. Yeah, this is a really good sermon. Um, and we go our way, you know. But did we interact with God is the question. And God is inviting us, and I know, again, that should blow our minds. God is inviting us to interact with Him. But if you don't see it that way, if you just think about doing your Christian business, you know, you, know, you do what you're supposed to do. You read a couple of verses, you know, you say a couple of prayers, you do your thing, go to church, everyone. If, you just, if you're just going through the motions, you're not really interacting with Him. Because these things aren't magic. But they are a channel through which God imparts grace. So breathing in for John Wesley, breathing in is about this question. How can I right now interact with and receive the grace of God? And again, you know what I mean by grace. I'm not talking about unmerited favor. We've already got that. How can I interact with the dynamic energy and life of God. I know this, if I do it, I can't remain the same. How could you? How could you remain the same interacting with the grace of God in this sense? That's how transformation happens. There's no magic pill. There's not some uh, switch we flip and people's lives are transformed. Man, if that were the case, I'd, I'd be doing some stuff. I'd be flipping some switches. But if you could interact with the life of God, 
if you could breathe in his energy right now, you would be changed. In fact, I tell you this, in, in the sermon, the, which spiritual respiration, the concept comes out of, it's called um, the, uh, the great privilege of those who are born of God. The point of the sermon is actually answering the question, how is it that in 1 John it says, those who are born of God cannot sin? It seems contradictory, because as Wesley points out in the sermon, but we know Christians do sin. But he says in 1 John, those who are born of, God, born of God cannot sin. And what Wesley, he talks about how you fall into sin, but his, but his end point in all this is, is this. If, as long as he keepeth himself, in other words, as long as you're breathing in and breathing out, you don't sin. It's when you don't breathe in or you don't breathe out that you commit the sin. It's in those moments that, that neglect comes along. And that's why I say neglect is the great enemy of our souls. That's the, uh, that's the issue. If you go to the next one, please. There's that statement. The great enemy of our souls is neglect. And again, Wesley described the breathing in as continually receiving uh, in your soul the breath of life from God, the gracious influence of His Spirit. Now, just think about those words for a minute. Continually receiving in your soul the breath of life from God. The breath of life. What do you think of when I say breath of life? What do you think of? Spirit. Spirit. Any Bible text come to your mind? Genesis where God breathes his breath into Adam. But it is the Spirit. I mean, the, technically the Hebrew word is, is the same, could be. Um, so, also in John, he says, mm. okay, receiving in your soul the breath of life from God, and then he, then he qualifies that by saying the gracious influence of the Spirit. That life of God is the Spirit of God. You're interacting with God when this happens. Questions or comments? Let me stop right there for a second. Questions or comments? Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll repeat it, yeah. The great enemy of our soul is neglect. Yes, neglect comes in, in multiple forms. Uh, the mo you know, okay, so why do we neglect the breathing? Now, obviously, you can't do that physically very long, right? I mean, you will be dead. Same thing is true spiritually. If you neglect it, that's when, that's when things go awry for you. So neglect happens. It's, it's not, I'm not going to blame anything from the outside at this point. Because if I'm not neglecting, Nothing from the outside can really affect me. But when enemies can come in and affect me is when I'm neglecting to breathe. That's why the, the, the real enemy is my neglect. That's the problem. So neglect comes for several reasons. Uh, one, I, I think uh, too often we're just too busy in life. Things are. I remember one time I was reading Christian Woman Magazine. My wife... Um, my wife subscribed to it, and I read it. Okay, so 
I'm modern, man. I'm modern. Okay, uh, but the editor, somebody had written a letter to the editor and said this. She said, um, you know, I'm really busy like everybody, and I'm trying to find time to pray. She said, is it okay if I pray while I'm doing my morning run? And the editor said, you have time to run, but you're trying to find time to pray. That's interesting. We're too busy to do the things we need to do spiritually. Or, uh, you know, what else? What would be another reason we would neglect these things? Distraction. Distraction. Oh, distraction. Distraction. Yeah, we're too distracted by other things. Yeah. What else? Pride. Oh, my goodness. Whoo. Pride keeping you from interacting with God. That's interesting. You think about that. Huh. Too tired, he says. Yeah. Sometimes just ignorance. Right? It's amazing how you can forget some things. Right? Like, um, you know, you make this commitment, you know, I'm going to practice my whatever every day. And then like three days in, you're like, oh, I, forgot. I forgot it all week. Same thing, you know, I, I want to read my Bible every day. Boom. A week into it, you're like, uh-oh, I totally left that thing out. And it's amazing how you can leave these things out and go your way because you're busy and you're doing your thing. Um, yeah, that's neglect. Any other questions, comments, thoughts? Oh. Yeah, somebody else? Oh, yes, ma'am. Uh, I just wanted to say that you're talking about the neglect thing. Yeah. We can even see that that's what, or not doing what we usually do or are supposed to do, because when David got into his sin, yeah. he did not do what he right. ordinarily did. Yes, when David fell, and that's one in the sermon, the great, uh, the great privilege, that was one of Wesley's uh, examples, was that David... David was right until he stopped doing what he was supposed to do, and he neglected. See, that's neglect. He was neglecting to do what he was supposed to do, and then he found himself in the wrong place. And so that's his argument on the, on the first John point, is that as long as you're keeping yourself, as long as you're breathing in and breathing out and doing what you're supposed to be doing, you can't sin. But when you neglect those things and you stop doing the things you're supposed to do, then, then temptations are taking you down and you'll end up, this is interesting, but you'll end up doing things you swore you'd never do. Yeah. I had a student call me one time after he left the school, uh, the college where I was teaching at the time. He calls me a, a year later and he said, uh, you remember what you said in class one day, uh, you'll do things that you swore you'd never do. And I said, yeah. He said, that's exactly where I'm at. I never thought I'd be doing the things I've, I've done. And that's what happens. That's why neglect is such a bad deal. All right, anybody else? Anything else? Okay, so how do the means of grace allow you to re receive in your soul the breath of the life of God, the gracious influence of His Spirit is the question. Um, I'm going to give you three means of grace, and I'm, I'm going to narrow some of them down into the third one, right? So there's, Wesley uses five ordinary means 
And I'm going to narrow the last three down into one just because I'm better than John Wesley. So the three. Now, first one, of course, you could almost guess is, is Scripture. Now, here's the point about Scripture that I think is funny. We always tell kids, you know, a lot of times we tell them, you're supposed to read your Bible every day. We don't generally tell them why. You ever notice that? You're supposed to do it. Now, what do kids do when you tell them they're supposed to do something? Yeah, they, they'll, they'll, they'll a lot of times just leave that out, you know. They tell me I'm supposed to, but, you know. It's interesting. We don't really explain to them what happens when you read the Scripture. But Wesley said, when you read the Scripture, well, he, and more than read it, he said actually read it, meditate on it, and study it. Listen to it preached, read it yourself, study it, meditate, all these things. In various angles, the Scripture. He said, when, you, when you're in the Scripture... The same spirit that inspired the scripture will speak to you. The, the, the scripture is God's word as the spirit has inspired it to those authors. It's not, it's not magic. It's relational. This is God speaking. He didn't do it just for them. He did it for all of us. And why? So that in the scripture... We can meet with him. So when you read the scripture and you're studying the scripture, you're meditating on the scripture. Um, two different words in the Hebrew used for meditation. We're supposed to meditate on his word. One of them means, means to run words over and over again in your head. And one means to kind of think, just think about it. But one is to say it over and over again. What I used to do when I was in college, um, or working at the college, uh, I would take a, a three by five card, write a scripture down, and in my walk in the morning, I'm out there, I'm saying it over and over again. It's interesting how you do that, you get it going. I do it physically because I, I have the, uh, what I call ADHD TV uh, going on in my life. So, um, you know, I, I've got to have, uh, I've got to be physical while I'm reading it for it to really get in me, see? So as I'm walking, I walk around and I say that scripture over and over again. And it's interesting, you know, then I start thinking about it after, after some time of that, it begins to, God begins to speak to me about it. There's even processes you could use such as uh, Lectio Divina. Do you guys know what that is? Um, it's really a monastic practice, but I kind of modified it. I do a modified Lectio Divina. What you do is you read the scripture, study it. You know, I want to know what it means, right? What the author meant. So I've got to look into it a little bit, find out what the point is and what it really, and then you begin to, and again, this is kind of a back and forth breathing. So I, I take the word in and then I say back to God, what does this have to do with me? And then I take the word in and I say, do I do that? And I take, and I listen to what he has to say. And I begin to ask those very deep questions about the scripture and I let him speak to me and I wait and I listen. And it's a back and forth in this thing. And in the end of all that, then, of course, I, I've got to be able to say, I need to change that. This is where I need to change. If you just read the scripture, uh, again, uh, Wesley said, it's not how much the scripture you go through, it's how much the scripture goes through you that counts. So you've got to get in there and live in it. Living in the scripture is living in the inspired word. And again, it's not just inspired so we have it on the page. It's inspired so that the God who inspires it can speak to us. That's why you're supposed to read the Scripture. And that is one way of breathing in God's grace. Probably, I'm making up a number just out of my own experience, 
about 90% of what God will ever say to you is written in the book. I'm not, I'm not saying there's no such thing as dreams or um, uh, other things. I know God speaks to other people at times. I like to listen for that, you know. When somebody speaks, I'm like, oh, I think God might be saying that, you know. That, that might be God's in- inspiration through you, so to speak. Uh, but about 80% of what he's ever going to say to you, did I say 80 or 90? I'm making up 90. Don't go back on it. 90%. I thought it was 90. Yeah. No, yeah, 90% of what he ever says is in, in the scripture. And that's why, um, that's why um, oh, D.L. Moody said, I've never known a man greatly used of God who was not in the scripture. Because not being in the scripture, God had nothing to say to him. So it is in the scripture that you will, you will find that out. And I, you know, I had a student one time, his name was... His name was Blue. No. Anyway, he, he said to me one day in class, spiritual formation class, he said, you know what, I don't read the scripture. I figure if God wants to say something, he'll just say it. And I said, dude, you got so many voices in your head right now, you don't know which one's God. And that was true. I said, you don't know which one's God. How do you know which voice is God if you're not listening to what we know is the inspired word? And then as you read that, God will speak to you a little more directly about what you're reading if you allow him to now if you're gonna if you're gonna try to go through it fast you know here's most people's scripture you know oh man what a day i'm so tired i'm about to fall asleep but let me get my scripture in bing bang boom thank you god amen boom and we go to sleep that's not what i'm talking about you got to get in this thing and listen this is somebody said god's love letter i don't it's some of us not a love letter uh but this is god's word to you and he wants to speak to you every day. You got to get this word into you because that's where God speaks. And that's, that's, a primary, that's a primary way of breathing in God's grace. If you're not in that, maybe the rest of it doesn't matter so much. Yeah, that's the foundation. Because again, 90% of what he's going to say is in there. And now when he speaks, I mean, I remember when I, when I felt a real solid call to preach, it, it came through a scripture verse that I don't remember having read, but I apparently had, had read it. And there, there it comes. God speaks that verse to me, that verse. And I mean, I was like, I was, I was somewhere and boom, there it comes. And I'm like, that's interesting. I don't even remember having read that, but I, but it's there. And boom, he speaks, he speaks that word to me when he speaks directly to me. Because he can speak directly to your heart, but it's generally going to be what you've studied in the scripture. Counselor, yes, ma'am. There was, um, there was, you had a sign in reading that talked about... In one of your classes? In one of your classes. One, oh, one of my classes. <laughs> <laughs> about um, loving the scripture. Yeah. But fell into love the God of the Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. If, if loving Scripture, but failing to love the God of the Scripture. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really about the author of this thing in the sense of inspiration. That, that is going to be... Uh, and that, that's my point is that reading the Scripture is about a relationship with God. If you don't see it that way, you, you, I mean, you could read it as literature. You could read it to learn something. Um, or to strengthen something, but re- reading it as a relationship to God. I mean, you pick this thing up and say, God, speak to me. You know, and as you read the scripture, 
You say, God, that's what I want. That's what, and, and you could almost take any verse. Hmm. It's risky. Here we go. Let me just try it. <laughs> oh, well, we know this one. Psalm 1, uh, 11, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his instructions have good insight. His praise endures forever. What is it to be wise? What, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that wisdom. Um, is that my life? Am I living that way? Am I living every moment of my day in the fear of the Lord? In reverence to him? Uh, in, in that case, he, he's over me. He's in command of me. Am I living my life that way? Because that's the beginning. You know, so you, you just take whatever it is and you start asking the questions. Um, yeah, exactly. That's right. You ask the question to God. Yeah, right. She's saying you have to, don't just ask yourself, am I doing this? But you say, God, God, am I doing this? God, show me where what I need to change to fit my life to the scripture. Because again, you know, again, John Wesley said, don't try, to make, um, don't try to make the scripture fit into your life. Make your life fit into the scripture. And that's the question. God, am I doing this? Am I, am I living this verse out? Where, where am I not? What would I have to change to make that, and listen, when you say it, it's, I, I, I will say it's never failed me that when I ask that question, the answer is there. And it's mostly because you really know it, and God has to give you that little pump right there. But you ask him, you know, God, what am I missing? Where am I, where am I missing that mark? And then you say, oh. But don't run. That's where you want to be. Oh. Well, what am I going to do about it? What do I do about that? It always amazes me when you ask somebody, back in, the, back in the day when I was doing youth camps a lot, you know, you ask people, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rate your relationship with the Lord? That used to be a little thing that I used just to start a conversation because everybody's got a relationship with God. It may not be good, but it, you got one. So I would just ask somebody, on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rate your relationship with the Lord? And then they give me some number, you know, 7. Okay, take away the numbers. Why do you say it's a 7? And you know what always got me over the years of doing that? Why would you stay a seven if you know what makes you a seven? What is that? I mean, you know, oh, I'm a seven. Why? Well, because, I, you know, I mean, I believe in God, but I don't really follow his practices every day. If you know it, why wouldn't you have changed it? You know why? Because they're not in the word. They're not asking the word, and they're not asking God to speak through the word to them about where they're at, and, and to surrender to that, and to actually, again, it's a back and forth, this thing of Lectio Divinis. What's that? Surrender is the hardest part, yeah. Surrender, surrender is, the, is the problem, is to be able to say to God, show me, and then when he shows you, you say, Lord, what do I need to do to change that? What do I need to do to fix that? And then, of course, I think in, in the process of that, then you have to make that commitment. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Now, when I seriously do this, I, I think the best way to do it is in journaling. Because then I say, then I, then I put a prayer in there. Lord, this is my commitment from this discussion we just had. But Scripture is the starting point. This is the place where you have to begin. You have to be in the Word 
else God doesn't have much to say to you. Okay, any other questions or comments on the Scripture? Do you see how reading Scripture can be breathing in God's grace? The grace of God meets you there, if you're open to it in that sense. Secondly, is prayer. These two things really need to go together, particularly if you're doing it in that Lectio Divina format that I just mentioned. Prayer. Uh, prayer is interesting. And I, when we come to breathing out, I'm going to add prayer back in next week to breathing out. And I'm going to give you a couple of, a couple of uh, levels of prayer. But I will tell you this. I think most of your time in prayer should be spent surrendering to God. I'm not saying he doesn't want to hear what's on your heart because he does. He knows it, right? But the real point of prayer is not to say, God, do this. It's to say, God, this is what I want, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, as the example of this, most of your time in prayer ought to be surrendering to God. But you don't know what to surrender to if you're not in prayer, right? Obviously, prayers. Talking to God. That's what it is. Now, don't get caught up in saying prayers. I mean, it's not... There's some, there's some aspect of saying prayers. You know, something, even something that's written that you're reading. I mean, I'm not saying that's all negative because sometimes those things... I'm going to have to cough. <coughs> saying those things helps you think. Like saying the Lord's Prayer, that's great. I think you ought to do it you know, re regularly because it, it, gets, it gets a certain rhythm of prayer and a certain concept going. That's not bad. But definitely make sure you have the kind of prayer that is about you and God. So I had these guys several years ago in Alabama where I was pastoring um, 20, 30 years ago. Wow. I was like in diapers I was pastoring. 30 years ago. Uh, and I had these, what's that? I was in seminary. You were there. I was pastoring in, uh, in Alabama, and uh, I had these guys who um, were, uh, that I was discipling, and here's what we did. This one guy, he was, he was really getting after it, but he had no idea about prayer. So he wanted me to come and, and spend some time with him. So he had this coffee table, you know. So I said, Let, let's get down. So we got down to the coffee table. I said, he said, okay, let's pray. And I said, okay, but here's what I want you to do. Don't say anything until God shows up. He said, what? What do you mean? I said, don't say anything until God shows up. Oh, that like to kill him. But we'll tell you this. At some point, he took his shoes off. And anytime he prayed after that, he took his shoes off. Because he wanted God to be there kind of thing. And that was just something in his, in his head. But we... Okay, so look. My, my wife's grandmother... <clears throat> this is out in the country now. Country, country. She would call over to their house and she wouldn't say hello. She wouldn't say this is so and so. Like I answer the phone and she says, I need this. And then she hangs up. <laughs> huh? I didn't say, all I said was hello and boom, she gives it and then she's gone. I'm like, wow. That's what we do to God. Uh, let's pray. God, I need you to do this. All right, see ya. Boom. And we're out. And God's like, um,. You think about it. We're not listening to him in prayer. We're not waiting on him in prayer. We tell him what we want him to hear. 
And there's no way we could be surrendering to God because we don't know what He wants. But if we would stop, and again, if you put the two together, you're in the Word, you're saying, God, speak to me. You're hearing His Word as a, as a relationship. This is a, re- this is a relationship, you know. If you, if you don't communicate with each other in a relationship, things go awry. Yeah, conversations one-sided won't be good at all, but no conversation is really bad. You get in the Word, and you're praying, and you're listening, and you're reading, and you're thinking this thing through, and you're meditating on it, and you're asking God questions, and you're waiting, and you're listening, and you'll go from a grocery list prayer, God do this, this, and this, thank you, I'm out, to actually having a relationship where most of your time will be spent surrendering. Even, okay, so look, and I'm, not, and I'm not downplaying the kind of things we take to God in prayer. There are going to be desperate times in your life, dark times in your life. And I'm not saying you don't go in those times and say, God, this is what I would, this is what I want. But in those moments, the best thing you can do is to say, God, this, from my heart, this is what I want, but not my will, but your will be done. Surrendering to God is the best position to be in in prayer. Your thoughts. And yeah. Yep. Where you're asking, and you're asking in a true relationship. Yeah. It will bring you back to Thanksgiving. That even though you have a need. And you recognize that need, you present that need to mm-hmm. God in your relationship with Him. Correct. It will bring you back to how thankful you are for the things that you already have. Even in the dark times. Yeah, Thanksgiving. Time. And that's going to be the breathing out. That's next week. The breathing out is going to come from that Thanksgiving. Because as we'll say next week, just a little, whatever it's called, commercial. When you begin to praise, things change. Praise changes everything, and it starts with you, but things start to, to go in a different direction when you start praising. And that's, that's the thing. Even in the dark times, and, and you know, as we know, God doesn't make everything happen, and God won't stop every storm that's coming your way. Sometimes it's other people's decision that's, that's hurting you. Sometimes we're just in a fallen world, and it's occurring. That's correct. Sometimes it's your stupidity. You're paying stupid tax. But sometimes it's, it's not something that it necessarily God's making happen. And here in the midst of it, God doesn't necessarily take it away. Sometimes he goes with you through that thing. And when, when it'll change in you in the midst of those dark times is when you start praising. You surrender to him and you start praising and things will... But that's next week. So I'm not saying it now. Okay. <clears throat> Scripture prayer, and let me go to the third one, which is worship. I'm calling it worship. Wesley used uh, three other things. Fasting, the Lord's Prayer, and what he called Christian Conference, which uh, could be small group or several things it could be tied to, but it really connection with other people. I'm going to tie it all into the word worship, right? Because it's about corporate. It's about a corporate situation here. It's, it's not about you alone in your room somewhere. As you know, Wesley said, there is no solitary holiness, only social holiness. And uh, it, it is about connected to others. But, and cor- so corporate worship, 
Uh, but it is, it's very personal as well. I want to turn, turn it to the personal for a second. Worship. So again, he said, whoop, he said the Lord's, pray, um, Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Supper, fasting, and Christian conference. And again, I'm going beyond that because what he said earlier in your module, you still see it there. By means of grace, I understand outward signs, words, or actions ordained by God and appointed for this end to be the ordinary channels whereby he might convey to men preventing justifying sanctifying grace. There are things besides fasting, uh, Christian conference, and communion that would do that. For instance, maybe you're a music person and you could tune into some song, pray, praise, worship, whatever, song, and you, you use that song for that moment when God can speak to you or you connect to his grace in that way. Again, not unmerited favor, but his active energy in your life. Sometimes music can do it. Um, sometimes what Wesley would call spiritual reading would do it. Some things you might read that, that could tune you in that way. Uh, what else? Hearing really, really good preaching, like at my church. Just kidding. <clears throat> what are some other things you could use to tune you into God's energizing grace in that moment? What's that? Could, I suppose you could, yeah, and there could be action. Nature, yes. I'm always, uh, I'm always uh, leery of these people who say, I don't need to go to church. I can worship God anywhere. Yeah, but you don't. That's the problem. You don't. But yeah, nature could actually, because nature could speak to something. Sometimes in that moment, you're like, boom, and God, God speaks, you know, because of what you're seeing right in front of you. That's true. What else could be a means of grace? Receiving testimony. Testim uh, somebody's testimony could speak to you. Oh, what, what else? Writing. Writing, yeah, like journaling, etc. could do it. What else? Service could be, could be, but I know this, if you're not connected in the church, you'll find neglect to be, yeah, it'll be in your life. The church, you know, people don't like the church. I know I want Jesus, but not, not the church is what, how we feel today. Uh, that doesn't make any biblical or historical sense to me. Uh, in the instance of his history of Christianity, the church is absolutely a necessity for you being a disciple of Jesus and using your spiritual gifts because they come through your action within the church. So, so yeah, I, I think corporate worship is absolutely necessary, but tune it a little different. I, I, remember, um, I remember saying this at, at my church uh, some time ago. I can't remember... Uh, exactly. It, it just bothered me. So many people go through the motions, right? They, they do hymn sandwich. They do the song and prayer hymn. They, they, do, they do all that stuff, the giving. All that stuff just happens automatically. We're not even thinking about it. So I, I remember, you know, just saying, hey, listen, singing the song is not the point. It's about meeting with God. This is about worshiping God. When you worship God, and, you know, in, in uh, two weeks, I'm going to talk about how these things connect to the process of sanctification. But again, a commercial. When you worship, well, all three of these things. All, yeah, this is a preview. All three of these things. When you read the scripture, when you're praying and when you're worshiping, you know what you're doing. You're reaching outside of yourself to God. 
And the problem as we know it with, with sanctification, the need is that we are, we are inward turned, we're self-centered. How does God move us outward? This is the way. This is the way. As we begin to reach out to Him in prayer, in reading the Scripture, in worship. And see, that's why worship ought to turn you inside out on Sunday morning or whenever you worship. It ought to turn you inside out. This is not about singing a song, giving some money, and hearing a sermon. This is about turning inside out. As I move to let God speak to me and move in me today. That's worship. Not the action, the the song or whatever. It's the turning inside out. Because that's the point of worship is he's God and I'm not. And he's God and he's sharing his life in me. He's speaking to me. He's moving in me. His energies are extended to me. That's worship when you do that. I'm watching that clock because I think that's it. Questions, comments? When? Like next week? Now, again, that means we're still talking about worship, not again, really. What? Uh, what? Um, I know you talked about corporate worship. Yeah. Corporate worship, yes. Together as believers. Right. To worship God. Um, but individually. Yeah. When I worship God yep. as an individual, right. I'm preparing my heart. Correct. And so when I walk in these doors yeah. on Sunday, I have worshiped God and prepared my heart to be a part of the corporate worship. Correct. Both of those things are necessary. I think it is. I, I think you have to personally worship, yes. Corporate worship, the importance of it is this. The same spirit in me is working in you and in you and in you. and Not really in him, but just kidding. You see what I'm saying? That's what makes us the body is that the Holy Spirit is working individually together. And when we cut, listen, I don't know if you've ever done, um, when I was a kid, there was a guy that used to like to grab a, he, he grabbed an electric fence for 10 seconds every morning. Said it was good for his heart. He died of a heart attack later. But anyway, but he would grab that, he'd grab the electric fence and he'd touch you. Boom, and that electricity would pass, right? That's what happens corporately when we're all re- actually doing this. Now, if it's a dead church, that won't happen. But if we're all really doing this and we're breathing in the life of God, then when we come together, there ought to be a little spark between us. Yeah, Shazam, that's a good word for it. Yes, ma'am. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If if you're not being moved, it's your fault. And I've sat through some bad preaching. Let me tell you. Uh, but it's actually your fault if you're not being moved because. God, God should be there, and maybe you're the problem. You might be the logjam. So good point, good point. Anything else? Fantastic.
Let me pray for you, and then um, then Matt's going to... Oh, yeah. Uh, let me ask you. There's a um, microphone. Of course, you know, I, you know this more than most people would, but there's a whole another category, the means of grace. Yeah. Which are the We're going to get there. That's next week, yeah. And that's next week. But, yeah. Uh, I, I really like that Christina brought up service, but I think there's some respiration that goes on with serving yeah. poor people especially. Yeah. They can't come any other way. Yeah, I mean, it's, that, that's absolutely going to be a part of it. That's, that's the second, second half of this. Um, Wesley said that if you're not, if you're not doing the, the uh, works of piety, which this is, and works of mercy, and I'll show you this next, next uh, two weeks from now, he said it's not reasonable to think that you would even stay where you are spiritually, let alone move forward. And he said, those things are so necessary that you cannot be sanctified without both of those things. We'll come to that in the fourth, in our fourth meeting, so I want to tie it into to, uh, sanctification, but yes. Who came up with Lectio Divina? Uh, that's a Benedictine yeah. uh, thing. So I think Dayspring's improved on that. So yeah. you, you say you improved on John Wesley. We, we improved on the Benedictine mm, order. There you go. With, with, with our five questions. Yeah. yeah. One is, what scriptures say? Then we ask, what does that have to do with God? I tell you what, that was the coolest thing, that you could worship God based on this passage of Scripture you just read. Then what's it have to do with me? That's testimony. Yeah. Then what's it have to do with what I'm supposed to be? That's change. Yeah. And then what's it have to do with you? Because I need to pray for you, David, over this. It isn't just about me. Yeah. It's also about you know other people in the group. Right. That's, that's a, cool. But when I was going through it, I thought, that's like the Divina, sort of. It is. It's a modified like the Divina, yeah. Yeah. Good. Pray for us. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Lord, tonight we, uh, we confess that we are not able to make something happen between us. But Lord, we also confess that you made something happen between us. You're the one who moved to us. You're the one who came. You said that uh, there was no man, no intercessor. So you said, my right arm will bring salvation. You loved us and therefore gave you demonstrated your love in that you gave your son, even though we were without hope and even ungodly, Paul says. You made the first move. Lord, you're inviting us into something. Let us not neglect that invitation, but make it the driving force of our life to breathe in your grace not just once a day, but multiple times a day to find ourselves experiencing the life of God. There is no life without that. There's no fulfillment, no satisfaction. No, no, no life without that. Make that the driving force of our energy. And I know in that we'll experience not just your life, but your love and your, your grace and your blessing in a way that goes beyond what we can ask or think. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.